Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well. You know, one of the ways dry land can really become tough is when you essentially tie your hands behind your back by not having equipment that's going to help you have a complete and balanced dry land program. Now, I'm not talking you need a full garage gym or 24 hour access to some type of facility. There's just a few pieces of equipment that honestly, if you just invested in these, and had them around at your house or on the pool deck for your swimmers, whether you're a swimmer or a coach, it is going to open up so many more doors in terms of programming. And I feel a little bit of frustration in the, the two sides of, on the one hand, the amount of money that's spent on tech suits and how often you'll buy a tech suit in a season and the unwillingness to Maybe, or it it could also honestly be instead of the unwillingness, maybe not even knowing what the price range is of some of these items. And that honestly, for half, sometimes a quarter of the cost of a tech suit that you're going to buy at least once or twice a year, maybe multiple times a year, for that cost, you could have the equipment that unlocks your dryland program options and variety for years to come. So I get frustrated sometimes when. Coaches say, well, yeah, we don't have any equipment or we don't have the budget for it. It's really not that much. But I can understand if you don't know what to get, it can seem like, oh, well, we don't have enough money. You're maybe in your head, you think, oh, it needs to be five grand, 10 grand to even get the necessarily dryland equipment needed. But sometimes it could be $100, maybe a few hundred dollars at most, depending on the size of your team. And if you're an individual swimmer, for $100, you can outfit yourself with what we're looking for to unlock your dryland program and have a very balanced program. So that's actually the lesson in this episode from inside the Surge Strength Academy as part of the SSDC curriculum is the minimal equipment recommendations for teams. And it's pretty similar to individuals too. So if you're self-coach so we're listening to this, you can go ahead and take notes on that too. And then for the dryland talk portion, of this episode, we're going to be continuing the conversation I had with Keenan Robinson, now the Director of Sports, Medicine, and Science at USA Swimming. This is part two of that conversation, so if you missed part one, go back to the previous episode. And one more thing I do want to tease a little bit. I'll give you more details in a surprise pop-up podcast. Look for that next week about something really cool we've been working on, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And it's a great resource. We can't wait to roll it out. But that's a surprise. you got to wait for next week. So be on the lookout for a surprise pop-up bonus podcast on the Surge Strength Podcast. Let's get into the rest of this episode. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Minimum team recommendations is what I'm going to be going over in this lesson. So again, at the bare minimum for equipment, here's just three things you could focus on as a team, making sure you have these. Pull-up bar, number one, some type of arrangement of kettlebells or dumbbells, either or. If anything, I would probably prefer 
kettlebells, but dumbbells are going to be fine too if you can get them, especially cheap and, and used on that. There's probably going to be more of those at a cheaper price than kettlebells necessarily and super bands in particular. So with the pull-up bar, if you're thinking about the group that you're going to be working with, if you could get it to where you could break up a third of your athletes and you feel like they could work through that pull-up bar. So I'm thinking when I'm doing a circuit. So if we have 20 kids, seven kids on a pull-up bar, that's kind of pushing it. Maybe I try to have a few more bars than that, but that's kind of the ratio I think through with that. Make sure too, you can buy them a lot cheaper just being able to affix them to a wall than having to basically buy a squat rack that has a pull-up bar. Just make sure you're able to secure it to the wall and they're not going to be any issues, especially a lot of decks here. You can see this is a pull-up bar on deck. A lot of decks obviously have cement walls. You're going to be able to drill it in and even then they could get out of the water, do pull-ups right then and there. As far as kettlebells and dumbbells, Again, I'm thinking through if I divided up whatever group is going to be working at a time and a third of them would be able to use some of that equipment, that's how much I'm looking to get in terms of how many kettlebells or dumbbells. You'd want to try to get some light, medium, and heavy weights too, and I would rather have all of those and have bigger jumps than just getting just light and just medium and having the jumps be a lot smaller and disregarding the heavy. Probably the same thing too, just purely disregarding the light and just getting medium and heavy, I wouldn't go that route as well. I try to have light, medium, and heavy, but have bigger jumps in between it. So go as far as you can on the range of weight, but just have the jumps be bigger. And again, with both of these, look for secondhand equipment. Uh, in terms of if you're buying them new, it's going to be at least 2 to $3 per pound is typically the bare minimum price you're going to find. So if you can find it refurbished, secondhand, anything like that, gyms going out of business or other just uh, equipment stores that sell uh, used equipment, go that route. You're going to have to do a little bit of homework on it, but it can pay off big in terms of price savings for these in particular. And finally, the super band. So this is a twofold thing. Number one, I want you to get the super bands to help the athletes not able to do pull-ups because if all we have is just a pull-up bar and super bands we're going to be able to basically move any athlete along because remember we're operating on the assumption we don't have trx or much other equipment that we could use in making sure we're building up a swimmer's pull-up so having the super bands and these aren't that expensive either but the other thing too is let's say you couldn't even do kettlebells or dumbbells the fact that you have super bands, you're now going to at least be able to do some type of hinging movement where you can have the super band around their feet where they're standing on it and then hinging up. You can at least do a bare minimum of that. So if you're thinking I have no equipment budget for this year, try to just be able to scrounge together enough for a pull-up bar and a few super bands. You can work that through. Maybe halfway through the season, you're able to start buying a little bit of kettlebells and dumbbells, and now you're going to be pretty set to at least give yourself a lot of options in terms of the phases, the exercise selection that you're going through. With super bands, you typically have three sizes that I would recommend, the one inch, one and a half, and two inch. Two inch are really only for the athletes that basically have no pull-up strength at all, or maybe they're a little bit uh, bigger as well. The two inches are going to be really for your strong athletes if you were just doing hinging with them or pulling. They are really hard uh, to pull, but that's just an overview 
with that. And if this is the only thing you have, if you're not having dumbbells and kettlebells, I would try to get enough super bands for half the athletes to use at a time. If you have kettlebells and dumbbells, probably not a need to get as many. And you should probably budget to have to replenish these once every year, two to three years, just depending on where they're stored. If they're stored on deck, chlorine, chloramines are probably going to break it down a little bit faster. And the last thing you want is for that band to snap when someone is doing it on a pull-up bar. So just check them every now and then. Check to make sure they're not cracking too much. And if they are, just go ahead and replace them. So that does it for the minimum equipment recommendations for teams. Dryland Talk. What would you minimize the importance of the weight room to swimming? Is it, would you start with the core? Are you looking at pulling strength? Talk to me about what you think, if you can only do like one or two things to improve the athlete in the weight room to have success in the pool. Well, I, I believe it's anything we can do to improve uh, CNS activity, right? So intra and, intra and intramuscular um, activity. Mm. Right, so the faster we can get the get the brain connecting to the the fingertips and the toes, um, the greater chance we have of improving uh, stroke rate. That's how fast they can get over. Um, that's just a thought. I, I I have not done a clinical study, um, um, but uh, but that I believe that's that's one way. And and making the the parts. So so making. Um, Making their low, making their legs as, as strong in the weight room as possible um, will allow them to a have the durability mm-hmm. to do something like uh, like I said uh, maybe maybe thirty one hundred kick best average at altitude. Mm-hmm. You know if they have strong durable legs that can withstand the you know so the muscular tendons unit can withstand the, that workload, then that's going to translate. Uh, you know like um, in two thousand eight uh, we. Um, we had uh, eight guys, really eight guys uh, at altitude, 100 long course, uh, average under one test. Hmm. Like, uh, and of course, generally, I think uh, of those eight, uh, six of them went on to the Olympic team you know, that, in 08 or in 12, and, and I think all, all six of them won a gold medal. So, I mean, that's, um, that, that to me is, is how I look at it. What can I do to make their body more durable hmm. to withstand the activities of, of, of the training in the water? Um, and the same would go for the upper extremity, right? Like, like they're, they're, they're getting internal rotation and pulling. Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting that just by swimming. Um, so, yeah, it's all about the whatever you want to term it, the corrective exercises, the um, um, functional exercise, whatever you want. Make sure that you balance out the, the, their, upper, you know, their upper extremity muscles as well as their lower extremity, but most importantly, their upper extremity. So, um you know, if, uh, if you have somebody that's got a very, very strong upper back, um, very, very strong lower back, um, and you pick and choose when to attack the anterior part of their, their, their upper body, I think you'll, you'll have some success and you won't uh, be spending them, you won't be referring them off to, to athletic trainers or physical therapists or chiropractors, whoever it may be. That's good. Keenan, um, kind of going back a little bit, again, rewinding, going back to what they're doing in the pool, how that affects what you do with them in the weight room. Do you always do the strength session either before or after? Does it change based on the season? Talk to me about actually the placement of where that session happens in relation to their swimming. So we, we always program it for after the main set. 
So let's say that, uh, and I can explain um, as I should. And, and I think any strength coach should be, if you're working for a swim program and you've been with them for two or three years, you better be able to, to recite what their, what the program is that the coach is doing. So Monday, I know Monday afternoon, the main set for, um, for coach Bowman is going to be the color system. It's going to be aerobic in nature. Okay. So if you can understand, um, basically the, the physiology as well as the kind of neurological component of what goes into the color, a color set, you know, aerobic threshold set. Um, you'll know how to program either that day or the day after your weight room program. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, the main set's going to be active rest. Okay. Um, so again, I'm going to know what goes into that. Wednesday is going to be quality. So that's going to be something where the athlete and the coach is going to put a number on, on what they're swimming. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's something that they do repeated about times within that practice so that when they get to the meet, you know, they don't have to do a lot of pace mm-hmm. because, um, you know, when Alice Schmidt jumps in the water, like she's going to know what she's going to take out her first 50, what she's going to go to her second 50 or third 50, and what she's going to come home in because she's been able to do it uh, for, for a whole season, you know, getting faster at it at, at practice. Thursday, we come back to some form of uh, threshold work. Again, it's very nice to do some sort of uh, uh, aerobic activity to, uh, you know, mostly for the circulatory effect, kind of flush out what has gone on the first part of the week. Um, and then Friday afternoon, the main set is kicking. Uh, you know, Bob loves kicking. Um, the, typically has the strongest kickers in, in the water. Um, so that's pretty heavy, heavy leg component, right? So I know whatever I'm going to do in the weight room, um, either the day before or we lift Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, cause it kind of works out well for the swimming program. Mm-hmm. So I better not crush their legs on Thursday right. because they'll never really get better at kicking. And Bob will and like you very Friday, much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I probably would not be working for Bob, you know, for 12 years. Right? I probably wouldn't have happened. But then, um, and then Saturday is going to be quality again. So something, whether they, whether they get up on the block or something, of course, it's going to be um, very objective, uh, repeatable and recordable in nature. So, um, so if you kind of think of that, Friday night's going to be heavy on legs with kicking. Saturday's going to be heavy, heavy, heavy CNS components. Uh, again, further heavy on the legs. If I'm playing to have a big squat Saturday on Saturday, like I better be prepared to have my hopes and dreams crushed by <laughs> what they're going to do. So it makes my weekly periodization pretty easy. And that Saturday is, uh, or excuse me, Tuesday is when we're going to, you know, Tuesday is going to be big squat Tuesday mm-hmm. in our world. So that's, uh, that's kind of um, that's kind of how we we look at uh, what we do. That's so, um, I, and I just would echo or make sure you know uh, understand the program. That, understand the program. That's so good. So, Ken, are there specific like levels of strength or reps or abilities that you have in your mind, like for male or female swimmers, especially more with the elite group I'm talking about here, where you know, especially like maybe more more North Baltimore, where you're working with kids that were just on the edge, and you're like, you know, in your mind, is there kind of like a certain number of pull-ups or being able to do an exercise at this type of intensity that you see more often than not elite swimmers being able to do it all? Yeah, so that's um, that is the one aspect I would say my program um, it, 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 
it, for me, it lacks the, the, the objectivity to measure because I still cannot get a definitive answer is, you know, with field-based sports, um, you can, they use vertical leap. Mm. Um, they use one three or five repetition max. Um, and it has some sort of quantifiable, um, change of the property to a sport specific or sport adaptation. Um, and, uh, so the thing that I am looked at and this, and a lot of it has to come with, um, Carl Valet came out and, and visited us this fall and, and he was, uh, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant, brilliant mind in the, in the, in the physical preparation field. And you're kind of looking at some of the things that, uh, what do you need that you could, that I could objectively measure that we could put out and say, like, we could correlate this to that in the water. So meaning, mm-hmm. um, bar speed and tempo, which requires equipment, um, you know, some, some higher advances of technology, which we, we didn't have until, until recently within, you know, we're actually doesn't even come in for about uh, two or three more weeks. We're getting the general wear. Um, but looking at the bar speed on a back squat and how they look on the kick set. Hmm. Now we can merge those two. And that's something that I, I'm okay with as opposed to doing a vertical jump. Okay. So we went through a, we went through a three or two or three, three up, one down cycle of lifting. I mean, you know, load, load, mm-hmm. reload, load, load, reload. And then we vertical leap. Oh, vertical leap improved. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how, I don't work with football, but like somehow they, they use that to say like that has made our running backs better. It doesn't, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't work like that. But I said, okay, the stand, a split stance, the broad jump or a broad jump would give us some form of indication because, um, you know, like when it comes to the starts and swimming, like the, the, the field has been kind of levelized by, by having the spin on the back. Mm-hmm. So all this kind of like work on starts in terms of that, but eh, I don't, uh, I don't know if it, if, if we need to do it. Like when, when Rowdy James did it in 19, Oh, Roddy, don't get mad at me, but I'm going to say like 88. When he started the track stance, he changed the game because he did something that no one else was doing. Yeah. Right? But we all do that now. So um, kind of not changing the game. Um, but if we can, if we can do, if we can improve their life strength and measure broad jump before this certain lifting cycle and then after whether it's three weeks or after six weeks, and the broad jump has improved, and then, you know, work in conjunction with the fantastic work that uh, Russell Mark and Matt Barbie and City Arnold, the people the high performance that do all the video now, assuming if they can say, like, uh, here are some numbers, like, your guys' start have improved. Then, then, okay, now, again, that's number two. That's something that, that, that I feel, okay, the mojo is, is good. Like, I like that. That's an, that's an objective measurement that I, that I like. Um, the, but we've always hung our hat on that our kids have uh, have tremendous uh, upper body strength to body mass ratio in the in the vertical pull. We we hang our hat on on uh, on, on various uh, pull up chin ups and um, and uh, there's the more they can do or the heavier they can do. Um, so whether you know Michael. I think I mean, he, he can average anywhere between 19 and, and 22. Um, if I called him up right now and said, Michael, hop on a bar, this guy, Chris Ritter, doesn't believe you can do 22 plus, <laughs> he will do it. Um, and likewise, like, um, you know, he, 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 can, he can do three, you know, six by three, six sets of three with, uh, with uh, 
45 to 50 kilos attached to him. Mm. So look, and uh, same with Allison. You know, the story Bob always tells is uh, in, in the 2011 World Championships, where I think she, she finaled, but she did not medal. Um, we got back from that, and she couldn't do one pull-up. By the oh. time we got to um, four days before London, so we were still in France, you know, she was doing three sets of 10. Yeah. And she got faster <laughs> swimming. So um, uh, I kind of look at some, some swimming measurements for the kids that I had the opportunity to work with, and that's that their, 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 their DPS and their race, from an upper extremity standpoint, we don't, we don't die. You don't gas out. And and from a kick standpoint, we've we've got really, really strong kicks. We've got predictable tempo. Mm. So it's not like um we we like to kind of have a better idea of what, what we got going into a competition as opposed to saying, Well, on one practice on um, on December twenty ninth, so and so kicked this one time. So we're gonna hang our heads on we get uh, when we get to Omaha on uh, June twenty eighth. That person they did they, they did it in December. They never <laughs> did it, but they're going to pull it back out of their hat. I, I just don't like going to uh, I just don't like going to a competition like that. So um, if I can do some things uh, in the weight room to help facilitate the, the replication of these swimming things, then then. Then I feel more confident that our programs are uh, heading in the right direction. That's good. Has is Allison or any of the other females progressed to doing weighted pull-ups, or, or what? You know, you gave some ranges for the for the guys. What about the girls on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, Chiarungi, uh, the year that she so she had her her breakthrough summer. What was that? Two thousand and. 14 and Pacific Championships. Um, she, again, was a, was a great story. Uh, she she could not do any vertical pulls uh, in, in September of that year. And her, her seasonal plan actually just um, I pulled it out uh, for, for Bob to see a couple weeks ago. And like that, her seasonal plan for that year, she, she didn't miss a single practice. She didn't miss a single weight session. So she went from none to eccentric to abandoned assisted. And then I remember uh, her and Allison partnering up in Colorado Springs and then, and then using 15 pounds for, wow. for sets of three. And um, all within a year that she went from a, in a year to no pull-ups to doing weighted pull-ups. Yeah. And so again, like back to my, one of my initial statements, that had nothing to do with me. Like that was all Sierra. Like she made a point in her mind that, um, in the first two years with, with Bob and I, she, she got better. Yes. She got a lot better. But she realized, like, okay, now I'm entering year three. This is uh, my senior year of high school. Um, I've, I'm going to take it upon myself to make some personal changes and get better. And, um, you know, she just ran with it. So that was, that was completely on her. Um, that's, uh, she, she did that. So, um, you know, I had to talk to her, and then she's, she's getting back to that level. But, uh, um, no, I, over the years, I've seen, uh, from the female standpoint, I've seen, uh, I've seen some pretty, some very, very impressive stuff, especially because a lot of them, um, were, were at the high school age in terms of uh, a strength, um, strength of body mass or just strength feet. Very, very impressive stuff. Uh, I was extremely blessed to work with uh, 
dozens and dozens of very, very impressive females uh, when it came to, to most of them in, in the weight room. That's awesome. Let's uh, continue just talking with primarily the, the elite guys, but I want to talk about, you know, the older ones in the group. You know, Michael's now 30. You know, you got some older guys in the group. How have you changed how you do the strength program now versus, you know, when they were eight or 10 years younger, you know, are, are you focusing on recovery or how many times they're going harder? Just talk to me about how that's changed as, you know, like in the NFL, they talk about different workouts for the veterans or the rookies, you know, are you kind of doing the same thing with swimming? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of joke I make now is with, um, you know, especially with Michael, um, um, but all, all these guys, I mean, everybody except for Chase in this group are, and Tom Kramer have exhausted their NCAA eligibility, so they're all 23 or older, 22, 23 or older. Is it the, the joke I kind of make is that I should no longer be using Excel and typing these, these workups out. I should just write them in pencil because um, uh, you never know how the body mm. is going to to react to not only the weight room activities, but the, but the swimming, like just stress. Yeah. Right? Like we, we, we never can forget um, if we haven't read it, then we, we need to pick it up as people in this profession, but we can never forget the, you know, how feelings work and, and exactly what stress is and how the body goes through the different uh, phases of, of stress and stimulus applied to the body. Um, and so, you know, obviously with this, with these older group, we you're doing an, uh, an extensive amount of uh, the monitoring of the, of the athletes. And so, um, I've got to always make sure, like I said, I've got to make sure that they can, they can swim the next day. And so, um, with, with, with sleep monitoring systems, with the blood draws, um, salivary tests, um, um, we had, uh, uh sent us out some pulse oximeters. Like we now have objective numbers that we can say like, you know, like I, I love the weight room, right? Like I, I, I want the guys to get after it every day. And, and, uh, um, uh, I've got two guys, David Nolan and, and Austin Surhoff, who are, who are beasts in the weight room. But um, I know that um, if, if I load them up, they will be not very good in the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one likes when Bob Bowman yells at you. <laughs> <Right? Like, laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like the Vince Lombardi thing. If he's not talking to you, that means, like, hey, okay, it's probably time to, to pack your bags and, and find a new place. But, uh, if he's honest, you, it's because he, he, he truly believes in his heart that, uh, that you can give more that day because, um, you know, he, he sees it. So at any rate, I don't want any of the guys to get yelled at. Uh, so, um, it's not, it's, it's not just, uh, Oh, you're protecting them. It's no, I'm, I'm using my brain. Like it's, I'm, I'm thinking about them. I'm, I'm actually caring about them so that, uh, I get the, I can get a physiological response, uh, a neurological response out of them in the weight room. Like just cause the card says, uh, um, you know, we're going to, we should average two to three sets for or two to three reps for three to seven reps at this a certain percentage. Like that, that, that's, that's a lot of numbers to work with. Right. So like if you're trying to get the 70 to 75 to 80% of a repetition max, like go back to Charlie Francis and high low principles, right? Like get the, get the minimum amount of reps and sets to elicit the response. Like if you don't, it's not the, it's not the Holy grail, right? Like the, these things are not in stone and we have to follow them. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's perpetually uh, modifying them. And, and then I've been wrong too. I love when I'm wrong when, um, uh, yesterday, yesterday was a great example. So 
Um, last week was a, was a deload week for the for the pro group, so they kind of all went home uh, for the holiday season. Um, now, obviously, like five of them went right back to Baltimore because that's where they where they are. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, I thought uh, I thought uh, a couple of guys, you know, I thought David would be able to get after it because he I thought he would spend more time in the gym than he would in the water. Um, but he was he was not ready to go from what the what the card said and and on Michael's aspect you know I thought they uh, you know let's uh, let's kind of work our way into it uh, because you you get shut down more and you got right after it and got under the bar and um, did three fifteen for three on a back squat which uh, to him was was close to a PR so you know be be flexible be uh I think uh, Buddy Morris of the Arizona call, Cardinals called to be a be a plan B coach that's good you know. That's good. And that actually leads into the next thing I want to talk about is, is, you know, in another interview, I, I listened to you talking about giving athletes an option, you know, like if you have an idea of, I want to work the hinge movement or the squat movement and the athlete doesn't necessarily, you know, for whatever reason, like an exercise, or maybe they're, you're working around an injury or something else like that. You, you know, are able to change it, but you're not necessarily being easier on them. And, and I think that goes back to what you've kind of said all along is you got to be egoless as a strength coach, right? Like it's for the athlete. And so you have to figure out ways to work with them. Yeah. It's, um, remember that, uh, um, being a good coach means you're you're engaged with the athlete. Um, like you know what's going on with them. You know what their personality is. Um, you know how they've progressed through the program. Um, they they so that when you have a conversation and they say, "Hey, I'd like to. I would like to do this exercise, or I'd like to do." Um, you know, I'd like to work on, on this a little bit more. They've earned the right to have that open discussion mm-hmm. as opposed to an individual, um, that comes up to you and says like, you know, I, I, I like what you're doing, but this has worked for me in the past. And you kind of look at the great thing about our sport is, is you look at their time mm-hmm. and you're like, well, what worked for you in the past? Like, these like don't even get you. You're you're a twenty year old college student. You, <laughs> your lifetime best don't even qualify for the futures. Meet. Like it did not work for you. So let's let's see how you're progressing in the water, and then we'll make the modifications on the land. But I think what what you were referring to is um, um, I used I think I used the, the the analogy in the past. Um, you know about Michael and how he, he does not like the front squat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's a necessary movement in their program. And so um, what you do is you, you understand that the, you want a, a squat, a quad-dominant activity in which it's anteriorly loaded. Well, I can give them kettlebells. I can do a double kettlebell load, which I'm starting to kind of think is, is maybe one of the better options for a swimmer, especially a swimmer of, of older mm. where it has some wear and tear on their body. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so, you know, Michael, okay, I'm cool with that. Um, our last cycle before we broke for the Christmas season, we were doing on, on Saturday, which when it comes to our squat patterns or our tier three, um, leg movement, it's more of like a supplementary exercise. Um, but we were doing some, some dumbbell goblet pot squats and, and I really like the way the kids look. Uh, particularly Sierra, and so you gotta understand with Sierra, she's you know six three, six four, 
So when you do the kind of when you do the the conversion, like when she squats, she's 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 pounding her body a lot more than um you know, we don't have any short kids here, but, but a shorter kid, right? So <laughs> she looks she looks great. And, and, and all I'm looking for is great movement proficiency mm-hmm. with some external load that the body can hold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of look at, and, and, and that might be something that, uh, you know, we don't have, we, I don't have time to, to make an error where they may get injured or hurt, but that might be her exercise. Mm-hmm. So the, the movement is being attained and I can externally load it. So if, 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 if we get to a point where the, 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 the dumbbell is too heavy, like she can't grip it because it's too heavy, then we put a weight vest on top of her, and that's how we continue to add an external weight. So um, th- those are some things you kind of, some considerations that you kind of work with when, you, when you're thinking about the older athlete. Good. That, that- um, but I, I would say this, like, once again, Michael is changing the sport um, in another way, when you, when you look at the history of the program, when guys got uh, into the late 20s uh, and even in their 30s, um, they did less they did less, and they did easier. Mm-hmm. Right? They just went right to the 50 or maybe <laughs> tried to get on either the morning or evening 100. Yeah. Uh, you know, Michael is changing the game again. He's, he's proving once again that uh, with, with outstanding development um, through, you know, through Bob and, uh, and of course, uh, what Michael has done personally to, to, to get where he's at as an organism and swimming, that uh, potentially you can do um, more and, and harder. That's good. That's good. I want to dive in just a little bit more into this, uh, you know, exercise selection, Keenan. And, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, yes, of course, you know, you got to do leg stuff. And, and they always think more of the squatting movement, but they don't necessarily think the hinging movement, you know, especially, you know, our RDLs or other types of deadlifts and things like that. And and often the excuse is, well, those hurt your back. Talk to me about, you know, that specific instance and how you would have that conversation with either a coach or an athlete um, when you're talking about that. Well, yeah, well, bicep curl can hurt your back. I mean, just go into, like, where we, uh, two days from now, three days from now, go into your Golden Gym, go into your 24-hour fitness, look at the guy that's in your squat rack, which you want to squat in, that's doing bicep curls, barbell bicep curls in your squat rack, and it's got it in a tremendous amount of lumbar uh, extension. Right? That, that hurts your back, right? So that's, a, that's an easy conversation. Anything we give these athletes could potentially cause some injury. Um, so either you yourself as a, as a, as a general physical preparation coach or, or work in conjunction, meaning in harmony and like positive, uh, educational, harmonious discussion with a physical therapist or athletic trainer who can do a, a great orthopedic assessment and, um, you know, uh, figure out, are there some limitations, um, based on anatomy or, or motor unit recruitment that, may prohibit you from deadlifting or hip hinging at this point in time. And then using the information that you derive from your own personal assessment, and please, if, if you're going to do your own personal assessment, make sure that you, you've practiced it and you're, you're a perfectionist. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, you know, be confident enough to send it out to a healthcare provisioner. And what uh, activities can you give that will set you up to hinge in three weeks or hinge in five weeks? Mm. Um, and, uh, if, uh, you know, if, if, if the Olympic lifts are your, are your baby, like you feel that, uh, um, 
without Olympic lifts, we can't uh, we can't be good athletes or we can't be good Olympians, even though the United States does not produce a medal since 1968 in the Olympic <laughs> lifts. Uh, uh, then, then understand that that's your end game. You want to to overhead snatch the athlete. How do I break that down into segments? Um, over a, a, a training cycle to get them to be able to do that so that when we do pull them from the floor and lift something over their head, um, you know that they're strong, stable, and structured enough to withstand that stress that they're, they're not going to dislocate their shoulder or, or injure their back. Um, because you're right. Like I, I'm a big proponent of, of, of hip injury and deadlift. Um, you know, some guys, uh, some guys, their end game has become the, the high grip X-bar deadlift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, we've gotten some, some great results with that. Um, uh, um, a great person to talk to about that uh, would be Coach Bill Dornkai at Ohio State. Uh, he just kind of come across some, some great information on, on the importance and how you can develop uh, speed and power in the hex-bar deadlift. Um, but some people, they, they, can, they can pull from the floor and, uh, and have no problems with it with, with, a, with a straight bar deadlift. Because of their anatomy, you may have to sumo deadlift them. Um, because of their anatomy or because of previous injuries, because you inherited them at 25 years old and, and they've got the, some sort of uh, ailment, you might have to you know, pull them from the block. You know, whatever it is, like, uh, make sure that you've got some tools in your back to, uh, to, to do the movement that you want to do um, and work to perhaps whatever your end game is and work them towards that. That's, that's good. And, and even, you know, a single arm... RDL where you're holding a kettlebell on one side and having to work on not rotation, uh, you know, e- even something as simple as that to work the hinge it. Cause like you said, at the start, you got to push, pull, squat, hinge and do all that. And I feel like a lot of times people leave out the hinge altogether and it causes a lot of problems in the end run. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. When you look at the, the best kickers, um, they're, they're, you know, their amplitude, they kick as hard going up as they do on down. Mm-hmm. You know, most kickers like just kick down and then it kind of lays uh, you know, dormant uh, on the uptick or, or vice versa for kicking on the back. So you want to teach them, teach the brain to be able to exert the same amount of force and power kicking up as they do kicking down. Absolutely. Well, Keenan, this has been awesome. I just wanted to end too by uh, just saying I, I love your your spirit of it where, you know, you're so egoless and humble about your role, especially working with such high level, uh, you know, athletes. And yet at the same time, it's almost like you've gained a practical PhD as a swim coach as well. Just, you know, it's almost like I'm talking to a regular swim coach with how you're able to say the sets. And so I hope that as the profession moves forward and there are more strength coaches integrated into swim teams like yourself that they'll ha- use you as a model in terms of how you integrate with the coach how you can speak the language and at the same time knowing that they're in the background and obviously an important part but you know not feeling like they have to put themselves out and as you allude to in other parts of the physical conditioning world sometimes that happens so i just wanted to thank you for that oh well thank you it's uh it's um um, again, it's nothing, nothing, nothing that I do. Um, I just, uh, I'm just blessed to be able to be surrounded by, by great kids in a great sport. So just, uh, try and do, don't do anything to force me out of it. Awesome. Keenan, thanks again. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple 
build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.